Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Pastor has been talking about for the past few weeks the fruits of the Spirit. He's been talking about that series. So tonight, just, I just want to touch on the last three, which is faith. Somebody say faith, faith. meekness, meekness, and temperance. Again, the scripture is this, but the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness, and temperance. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, verse 23. And so what we're going to start right now is we're going to start at the first one tonight, which is faith. Somebody say faith. faith. Somebody say faith. faith. Now I'm going to tell you, there's some folks that think in their minds, you know, I don't have any faith. There's some people that may think that, you know, I have a little bit of faith. And then there's just some folks, you know, they're just giants here in our church and they've got a lot of faith. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to study a little bit more about this thing called faith. Again, by definition, uh, faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I repeat it again. Faith, by definition, is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. The next definition is a strong belief in God or in the doctrine of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. I think that's where the scripture comes in and says that, you know, our, our faith is our proof of what we believe in. Without faith, what's the rest of it? It is impossible to please him. We have to believe and trust in God, and we have to understand that our proof of what God has said and what he has spoken into our lives and what the word of God says, our faith is our proof. Because sometimes to the natural man or the natural woman in the secular world, it may look like or seem like that, you know, what, we're, what we believe in is false. But what we have done tonight is we have read the word. And we have tried it for ourselves. And at, over a course of time, we realize that, you know, this thing called the word of God is real. And we place our faith, our belief, and our hope in it. And so let's go to the next point. Faith is something that everyone has. It is an attribute that has been dealt from God. Paul spoke the, uh, that everyone has been given a measure of faith. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says this, to have faith make, that makes a strong impact on our world. It matters where you and I and where we place our faith in whom we place our faith in. Now, you know, I've been, as I was stewing over this lesson, trying to find out, you know, exactly, you know, more about faith. I realize that each and every one of us, like the word of God says, we have faith. How do I know? 
is because there are a few things here that I've been thinking about and going through even in my own life that shows that I've got faith. And when I think about it, you guys handle the same things. And so that means that you've got a level of faith also. So let's take a look at it. The things we place our faith in. How about this one? A faucet. Unless you didn't pay your, your, your water bill. Oh, I, I better stop on now because I remember being there in those days, you know, broke, busted, and disgusted before I got married to my wife, not having a lot of money. I remember being a Bible college student, wondering how am I going to pay my, my phone bill. But again, just having a faucet, what do we do without even thinking about it? We reach for the faucet. And we flip the switch, expecting for what? Water to come out. You have faith in a faucet that sometimes breaks down in the wintertime when the pipes bust. But let's go to the next one. <laughs> See, you know, there's somebody in this room that's faced that this year. <laughs> but God's going to help. No, I'm messing. All right. Next one, light switch. Somebody say a light switch. When you walk over to the light switch, you're not expecting or praying or having a, a, an, a, an altar counseling meeting, you know, going in the intercession, say, oh, God, I pray that let the lights come on today. No, you and I just walk over to the switch, and what do we do? Flip. Because we expect for what? For the thing that we can't see electricity to make it all the way to the light switch to do what? To turn on the light. How about the next one? The mailman. You know, some of, you, some of us were expecting, you know, for Amazon to hurry up and bring our package that we ordered, you know, about a day or two ago. You know, we have a lot of faith in the mailman, meaning we don't think about whether or not if they're going to show up or not. We just expect for them to show up. How about the next one? And this one really goes to the parents a lot of times. Having your young person start driving. Or how about this? You getting in the car with somebody and you allowing them to drive. You see, that takes a lot of, I saw a grin that somebody looked at their, I'm not, I'm going to stop right now, you know. <laughs> see, don't look at my wife because, you know, she knows I drive crazy. Don't ever allow me to drive anywhere. I'm just joking. But here's the thing. When you step into the car and you're the passenger, you don't ever expect or worry about not making it from point A to point B. You have a whole lot of confidence in a person that's flawed and makes mistakes from time to time. How about the next one? Our computers. We, we, we can't do anything without computers nowadays. We have to have a computer in just about everything that we do. We push a little button, it comes on, and we expect for it to come on. How about the next one? phone. How do our phones operate? There is somewhere in the, in the, how can I say, the cosmos, there is a machine called a satellite that you and I cannot see. And what happens, the signal goes from our phone and boop, goes all the way up to the satellite and then it goes to another phone. You and I don't ever expect for the phone not to work unless you have bad reception like Sprint. I'm just joking. I better stop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for some of you folks that have Sprint. Please don't be offended. Don't cast stones on me right now. <laughs> but how about the next one? GPS. 
Now, here's the one that really gets me, GPS. We don't ever worry about the directions coming from a GPS. GPS uses a satellite, and we allow the GPS to give us directions on which way to turn. We trust in the GPS that the GPS knows the destination from here to there also at the same time. We trust that the GPS, when it says that there's an accident ahead, you need to divert and go to another different, you know, route. We trust in that. We can't see the satellite in space. But saints, we trust in something that we can't see. And here's the next one, like we just said, satellites. So let me go on to my next point, which is this. At times, we have placed our faith in things that are flawed. And things that we cannot see. If that's the case, then we have enough faith to trust in the one that is not flawed and at times we can't see, which is Christ. You see, if we've got enough faith in this, which we can't see and understand how it operates, we should have enough faith in the one that we can't see. If we've got enough faith in our GPS that will give us directions to get from here to grandma's house or from here all the way to California, we should have enough faith to say, you know what? I have enough faith in Jesus Christ and I know that I know that I know he's going to get me from here all the way to glory. Right. Amen. Because he knows the way he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Meaning just like a good author, a good author knows the beginning of the story, knows the middle of the story. He's written out everything in the middle and also knows the ending. We, that author knows. And so our God, he knows what we need and he knows how to get us to where we need to get to. What we just have to do is say we have to have faith. We have to have trust. Trust in God. Trust to the point that we have confidence that it's a conviction, that we say it doesn't matter what anything else says in this life. It doesn't matter what media says. It doesn't matter what the government may say. That You know what? I know who I put my trust in today. Why? Because I trust in the one that knows all, but I also am standing on a firm foundation, and I have, how can I say, confidence in him. Confidence in him. I love how Larry Arrowwood said it in his book called Grace, Faith, and Works. He said it like this. Faith is complete acceptance. Faith is complete acceptance. Meaning acceptance of God's word and his promises and what he has spoken in your life. Complete acceptance is to be, listen to this, consistent regarding every promise and at all times. You see, when I think about that, it makes me think about, how can I say, a lighthouse. A lighthouse is consistent. You see, it doesn't matter whether the storms come, it doesn't... It doesn't matter, you know, whether the winds blow. It doesn't matter how much rain begins to fall and pushes up against the lighthouse. Yeah, the lighthouse, when you look at it, you can see that it's got, had some damage to it. But you know what? The lighthouse still stands. Why? It's because that lighthouse is standing on a firm foundation. It's connected or it's attached. 
And so it doesn't matter what the outside elements begin to say or begin to do. You know, it just stands and it does what it always does, which stands true and shines even in the midst of the darkness and the storm. Your faith and my faith should do the same thing. In this world that we're living in right now, you can see it. You can see what's going on in the school system with, uh, with California, how they're trying to push things. They're not, they're not just trying to be, you know, you know, sneaky or how can I say incognito about it. They're blatantly pushing things, trying to push the church back and trying to take their stand. But what we have to do is this. In this dark world, we need to allow our faith to be like a lighthouse and say, you know what? No matter what is going on in the world, you know what? My faith is going to stand. Come on, I thought I'd get a better response than that. You know, our faith has to stand because it's built on a firm foundation. It's not built on your intellect. It's not built on my intellect. But what it's built on, it should be built on the word of God, which has been tested and gone through the test of time. It has not failed and it has not faltered at any time. The word of God is solid. And you can stand on the word of God. And so if, if the word stands and you can just, like what is that? Sister Magruder used to sing that old song. You know, just standing on a word. You can stand like that lighthouse. Let your faith stand in a world that's dark and trying to push you or not. You can trust in God's word. Let me keep going. Awesome. It says, I just want to read a scripture, James chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. I think James pretty, pretty much lays it out there and he's straight and he shows us what is faith and what is not faith. Again, faith, faith stands. Not having faith. Come here. Not having faith is allowing life to push you around. Don't allow life to push you around. Don't allow doubt to push you around. Don't allow the cares of this life to push you. At some point, you have got to stand still and see the salvation. You got to stand still and know that, you know what? I have to stand on God's word and know that I can make it through this situation. Stand. Thank you. Then we go to the next attribute. Let's go to number two. Meekness. Somebody say meekness. Meekness by definition is softness of temper, mildness, gentleness, forbearance, under injury and provocation. In an evangelical sense, Humility, resignation, submission. Submission to the divine will. Listen to this. Without murmuring or perverseness. Opposed to pride, arrogancy. Man. Having to be humble in the midst of, how can I say, 
and submitted to the will of God and not murmuring and not complaining. Promises made to the meek. Did you realize that there are promises that are for men and women who have a meek spirit? Let's go to the first one, Matthew chapter 5, which we all know. So simple. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Inherit the earth, what does that mean? What that means is here on earth, God wants to bless you here and bless your life, whether it's financially, whether it's, you know, secularly on your job and those things. When you are meek, meaning humble, God resists the proud. Give grace to the. We have to have a meek spirit. When I think about that, there's only one person just about in my life that I can think about that I've had the chance for. I'm not going to tell you her age because she killed me if I told you. And so I've, I've been able to be up close with and, and watch her from a child all the way up to now. And that's my sister. Some of you in this room know who she is. She's a young lady that sang not too long ago for you IBC students that don't know, Sister Leah Matthews. And so what you have to understand, that you, I got to give you some background and then I move on. You got to understand, we didn't grow up in church. And when my sister Leah got in church, she got in church. Even if it meant going to school with one skirt. And that's the same skirt she wore. Over and over and over again even to the point that even the girls that she used to make fun of when she was not in church, they turned around and started making fun of her because she only had one skirt, and she wore it every single day, and it got ragtag, and it, it was just a mess until somebody blessed her later on in life with more skirts. And so from there, I, I watched. She was the very first one that got in church, and she ended up getting myself, my mom, and my brother in church. And she lived a life, even as a young person, of being, being humble. The girl who invited her to church was a great singer. The whole reason why my sister came to church was she wanted to hear this girl sing. But then what happened was as she began to grow in God and she stayed humble, she stayed committed to our pastor and our youth pastor, Brother uh, Tracy Lewis, all of a sudden you can see the shift between this young lady who brought her to church who knew how to sing, and she was really good, and the shift from my sister just growing and her ministry just growing and the anointing just growing. And there were times where she could have got big-headed about things and she didn't. But here's the number one thing that really stands out to me. I will never forget when our choir, back when she was probably a senior in high school, we were invited to sing at Music Fest. I don't even know if Brother Anderson remembers that. My sister had to sing, Oh, Most High, I Lift You High. And what you don't understand is we all, we, we had just got finished doing a choir, a choir to ourselves to travel all the way up here. And my sister's voice was stripped. It was gone. It was just dead. She didn't have anything. And I will never forget, she, she tells me the story that she walked up to Brother Silliman, who was our music minister at the time, and he, she said, Brother Silliman, I can't, I can't sing. I can't, I can't do it. You know, I can't do it tonight. He looked at it. He said, you need to go to an altar. You need to go to the prayer closet, and you need to find your voice. You better go ask God right now to touch your life. <laughs> he was like our dad, and so he could, he could tell us to do that. But, but he was also our mentor. And what did she do? She humbled herself, knowing that 
she was about to take this stage and be in front of who knows how many people that was there at Music Fest back then. And all of a sudden, she steps out on the platform, voice stripped, and all of a sudden, she opens up her mouth and she sings. It's like God blessed her, opened up her voice, touched her body, and she sang. And I will never forget it because I was in the choir back then, how the Spirit of God fell like it always has and how it did back then and it still does today. It just went. You know why that took place right there, that it seemed like a miracle for her took place like that? It was because she, she lived a life meekness and humility. She said, it didn't matter what, it wasn't about me. It's about serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you see, there's always blessings and promises attached to being meek. One of the things that God says, he'll bless you and you'll, you'll inherit the earth. The other young lady, she said it tonight as she begins to open the, the uh, service up. She read the scripture that's in my notes, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, which is the second promise. For all those things uh, have my hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. God says, my promise to you is this. I will look. Look at what? Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembling at my word. You see, when you have learned on the job in church, in your marriage, and in your home, when you have learned to just say, you know what? I'm just going to submit myself to God no matter what. And I, whatever I do, I, I, I wanted to magnify God and lift him up. And I am in a covenant with God. God says, you know what? I not only bless you financially and spiritually, but he says my eyes will be, will look. I will be looking at you. Meaning you have my attention. And I believe not only with his eyes, but his ears are attentive to our prayers and our cries. To that person that says, you know what, God, I am submitting my life to you. This is about you and not about me. I'm going to tell you, if you young people, if you want your ministry to grow IBC, it doesn't matter how good you are on the piano. It doesn't matter how many licks you can do on a guitar or with your voice. If you're not humble and if you're not meek and if you have not submitted yourself and your gift to God, it won't impact the world. Because you know what? Rock stars do it all the time. Rock stars do it all the time. But people go to the concerts and they leave the same way. But what will happen if you and I, we begin to couple, our, our, how can I say, our talents and our gifts and we give them to God and we say, God, I'm willing to submit my life, God, to you. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, God, I'll go. You know what God will do? God will bless the little that you have to multiply his kingdom. He'll bless the little that you have to multiply his kingdom. If you just say, God, I belong to you. How about this one? I have this other point. The third, uh, the third beatitude puzzles many people in the workplace. 
in part because they don't understand what it means to be meek. Many assume the term meekness means weak. Or how can I mean say tame or deficient of courage. But the biblical understanding of meekness is power under control. Power under control. Power under control means two things. Number one, refusal of inflate of ourselves, meaning puffing up ourselves. Meaning refusing to do that. Yeah, you may be blessed. Yeah, you may have more hair than I do and stuff like that. Yeah. You may be good looking, you know. But don't puff yourself up to gain the accolades. All the praise and the glory and honor belongs to the second one. Not to assert ourselves for ourselves. Paul captures the first aspect perfectly in Romans chapter 12 verse 3 by saying this. For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. But to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Meek people see themselves as a servant of God. Not thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. So what does that mean? Whether you're here in the church house or whether if you're out there on the street or if you're on your job, you are on an assignment. Meek people say that, you know, I am a servant to God, not only here at Calvary Tabernacle, but also when I leave this place, meaning on my job and also in our homes. That's a challenge at times. We have to make sure that we are still a servant to our spouses and a servant to our children at home. If we want to be known as being a meek person or a servant of God, what does that look like? Sometimes that looks like when you're at home and your kid's like, dad, 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 like I did today. Oh, my word. My, my sons, they, they were out with my wife today. And uh, all of a sudden, they had been at the, the zoo all day long. And they came in. I'm, I'm getting ready for this lesson, and I'm right at about this part. This is crazy. I'm right here at about this part of learning about meekness. And all of a sudden, my son comes busting, and Dad! Poof, opens up the office door. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, Lord, help me today. Help me, Jesus, not to lay hands on my sons. Suddenly, Lord. And I'm, I, I'm steadily typing. I'm typing. I'm, I'm going to town. And all of a sudden, my other son, Corbin, coming. Anybody know Corbin? Boy, that's energy all the way, boy. Busting, Dad! Bouncing off the walls. Angie Cameron's laughing right now. Dad! He's a good boy. And he's like, Dad, look at my toy. And he's got this toy. It's inside of a crystal ball, and there's lights going, and it's flashing. And it's going back and forth on my floor. And I'm sitting there trying to type, get ready for this lesson. And I'm like, oh, my word. I'm like, I got to get ready. I only have a few more minutes. I got to get this, this, you know, get this Madison so she can create a PowerPoint. I'm like, ah! And all of a sudden, you know, like a good wife, she walked, my wife walks up to me with all grace and mercy and meekness. She walks up to me and she goes, baby. She goes, they just wanted to see you. They haven't seen you all day. And that's why. That's why they're making so much noise. 
And all of a sudden, you, guys, you know how it is when your wife begins to speak, you know, those words of wisdom because you're not in the moment. All of a sudden, the spirit of conviction comes on you. Oh! And it begins to come down, and all of a sudden, I had to stop what I'm doing and walk over there to them. What are you guys doing? Talk to them. Be interested in what they're doing. Serving, serving my sons. Serving sons or serving wives or serving, serving your husband. We have to be servants of God, not only here at church, but also at the same time in our homes and, you know, in our jobs. You know, like when that other person gets that, gets that job and you didn't. And you know deep down inside, there's a part of you saying, you know what, I'm more qualified than you. I got this. I got more uh, degrees in A, B, C, D. I should, I should, there's something on the inside that says, I should have got that job. But you know what? Instead of having an attitude, we have to remember that we're on that job to be a servant, an ambassador for Christ. And so what do we have to do? Still go to work with a cheerful attitude. Still giving it our best. Why? It's because at the end of the day, there are people that are watching. They're watching us. And all they want to see is whether or not if Jesus is real. The next and last attribute is this. The attribute of temperance. The Greek word for temperance is enkrata. I said it the best way I could. which means self-control, the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially in sensual appetites. Masters, masters his desires. Temperance is a moder- moderation in thought, word, or action. Those who practice temperance are self-controlled and show restraint in their passions and behavior. That reminds me of one particular person, and that's a mom. It just seems like mothers have so much, how can I say, temperance. Why? Especially when a child comes. The baby comes directly from the hospital. Some of you moms know exactly what I'm talking about. We had Elliot. Some of you guys may know Elliot, who used to be one of our foster kids that we had. That young man could not keep milk down to save his life. Every time he took a bottle, every time he drank, whether if it was at home, at church, whatever, he would just spit it all up. And I will never forget our first Easter. <laughs> first Easter, my wife is decked out beautiful, and she's just got her skirt on her. She comes, and what happens? <laughs> Fed up. We were supposed to take pic- pictures right here. What happens? <laughs> he just pukes, just pukes all on her shoulder. But you know, as a mom, she could have got so upset and lost self-control. She could have yelled, screamed, heavens forbid, like some parents, you know, that lose their kids, abuse their little one. But mothers have to have self-control. They have to exercise temperance in those times because they understand this one thing, that that child can't take care of themselves, that child is dependent upon you. Temperance or self-control is one of the fruits this Holy Spirit brings when he indwells believers. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 talks about it. 
It is impossible to live godly lives and please the Lord without self-control. Because our flesh wants only to please itself. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 warns us to make no provisions for the flesh and its lust. However, some people mistakenly believe that Temperance means we can dabble in sin as long as we are not overcome by it. That's not what this verse is saying. It implies that along with temperance, we exercise caution and wisdom. When we desire to please the Lord, we will still, we will stay away from anything that has the appearance of evil. The spirit is there to be just like that GPS. If we really want to exercise temperance, that spirit is going to warn us and say, hey, Brother Mac, don't, don't go that direction. And then it's up to us to make the decision to say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to the flesh which gravitates and desires those things. But I'm going to listen to the spirit, which says flee. I want to be a servant of God. Amen. And we want to be led by God's spirit. And God's spirit is going to lead us away from those things. Whether if it's, you know, when we're looking on our iPhones and all of a sudden we're on Facebook and those things begin to pop up. Pictures from our past, pictures of old girlfriends, boyfriends, or, you know, photos of what we, used to, what we used to be like in the world before we got here that try, the enemy tries to use and say, hey, you, you remember when you had it this good? It was good back here. Why don't you think about, uh, we have to exercise temperance that says, you know what? Uh-uh. I'm going to resist the devil, and after a while, he's going to flee. We have to say no to those temptations. Again, self-control applies to all of life, all areas of life. Christians must not go to the extreme in any area of life, but must be well balanced. We got to be careful. It's because there are some things that aren't sin. If we're not careful, we can make, we can spend more time with those things versus spending time with Christ. And get out of balance. We have to be tempered in this life. We have to be balanced and live a life of balance. Church, family, yeah, and fun. We have to find a good balance in between those things. Again, it is impossible for, for things that are not inherently sinful to become sin. If we give innate amounts of time to them and give them a place above spiritual pursuit. I'm almost done. God have just two points. The fruit of the spirit will affect one's relationship with God. The results of this relationship are defined in the final three aspects of the fruit of the spirit. Which is saying, you want to know, you want to know how well your relationship was, is going with God? Ask yourself how your faith is. Are you trusting in God? 
like you should? Are you, are we practicing meekness? Which means are we submitted to the almighty God? If not, then there's something going on with, but if everything, if we're practicing meekness and we're submitted, everything is going well with. And then the last thing, temperance. Having self-control. Saying that if I've got this right, oh, I'll abstain from things. Why? Because it's not because he's beating me over the head with something and making me do it. It's the simple fact that I just love him. I love him. I love him because he first loved me. And purchase my salvation. Let's stand. On Calvary. If you sing the songs, if you know the song, sing it. I love him. I love him. Because he first loved me and purchased my salvation on Calvary. One more time. I love him. Come on, somebody lift your hands and sing it. I love him because he first loved me and purchased my salvation on Calvary. You see, faith, meekness, and temperance, those things are important. Just like I brought up, it, when I think of those things, it reminds me of one thing. It reminds me of a mother with children. You see, with faith, you see, it is a miracle to naturally have children. It, it comes from God to bring life. You see, God, who has all power, believed that they are folks that can take care of this boy, young boy or girl, this child. And so we have to have faith in his process and his all power that he can do it. But also at the same time, guess what? God has faith that the one that he assigned to you, meaning children, he believes that you're going to take care of them. But in taking care of natural children in the natural, it takes meekness, meaning it takes humility. Why? It's because you and I have to be submitted to the needs of that child and taking care of that child day in and day out, not just for one day, not just for one week, but for the rest of that child's life, not only when they become an adult and they move out the house, but also at the same time as they, as they go on in their adult lives. And then the last one is this, self-control. You see children, they, babies, when they come home, they cry. Ah! Sometimes all night long, and you have to, 
exercise, mom and dad, self-control with your attitude. Why? It's because you're trying to take care of and nurture this newborn baby. Just like how God is doing right here in Calvary Tabernacle. Not in the physical, but in the spiritual. You see, Calvary, we have to grow in this area also. Because you have to understand, he said, fruit of the spirit. What is fruit? Fruit is an, uh, is an object that has a life cycle that grows. So meaning fruit of the spirit, meaning all these attributes, we have to grow. Why? Is because God is busy sending people into this church. He's, he's allowed, he has bestowed and has faith in this church to take care of all these brand new spiritual babies. You see, and with these spiritual babies comes responsibility. You see, there's going to be some nights, Calvary Tabernacle, where you're going to have to, and I'm going to have to exercise, how can I say, meekness. Meaning, somebody going to come into the church, a new person, sit down in your spot, and maybe you've been sitting there for 20, 30, 50 years. And what, you, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to humble yourself. And say, you know what, you're just a baby. <laughs> no, don't tell them that. <laughs> But you're just thinking in your mind, you're just a baby. Or whether if it's a new, uh, a person who has backslidden and come back to God. You, have, you see, they may say something or they may do something, you know, uh, that, that, that may get to you. And you know that you are old enough. You've been here for a long time at Calvary Tabernacle. You know how it works. You can jump. You, you, something inside just wants you to jump on them. But you, what you have to do is you have to exercise humility and realize you are a baby. You're a new babe in Christ. And also at the same time, you have to exercise, or we all have to exercise, including myself, temperance, which is self-control. Why? Because sometimes you may get that new baby that may call 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. Why? Needing you to feed it, to help it get through the situation. And I, and I end with this. Calvary, God is blessing us with souls. But in order to get more, our pastor understands that we have to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Why? So we can take care of all these brand new babies in Christ. Let us bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you. Lord, we thank you. God, I pray as a church that you would help us expand in the areas of the fruits of the Spirit. Because fruit grows. And it matures. Lord God, help us to grow as a church and mature in faith, meekness, and temperance. Lord God, because we want more souls here at this church. Lord God, we want to be more responsible. Lord God, because you have the faith in us as we have faith in you to have revival. And you have the faith in us to take care of all these brand new babies, God. Help us to grow in faith. Help us to grow in meekness and temperance. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you in Jesus' name.